Hey everyone, welcome to Nerdin' About. I'm Space Michael, and with me as always is my Nerd Night Vancouver co-host, who we learned from a previous episode she was self-isolating by going into the ocean. Kaylee, how is your ocean isolation doing? My ocean isolation is going very well. Thank you so much for asking. I've been going a couple times, and um, yeah, there's never anybody else in the ocean, which is weird. Have you been isolating in the ocean? No, I've just been going for my death metal runs, which are, there are way too many people uh, running on pathways right now. It's creating havoc because people are walking beside each other on the sidewalks, and then I jump into the bike lane, and then the bike lanes are beeping at me, and then the bikes are going into where the cars are going. It's wild out there, so... Uh, everyone be safe. Oh, that sounds very metal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're here for our second episode, and we are so uh, overjoyed to introduce to you Dr. Brittany Carr. Um, Brittany Carr is a postdoctoral fellow and vision research scientist at the University of British Columbia, where she currently studies inherited eye diseases. She's also an artist and avid wildlife photographer. Welcome to our Nerd and About, Dr. Carr. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I also want to say thanks for the uh, the shout out on Twitter and Instagram. And I, I kind of feel like I have to point out that I had actually a really good giggle about your use of a picture from Bubbles uh, from Trailer Park Boys for the episode. And this is because I'm actually here to talk about nearsightedness. And uh, he wears glasses that are for somebody with far sightedness. Oh, really? <laughs> so That's I thought so that was, funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, you can tell because lenses for somebody who's farsighted will cause their eyes to get that really comedic kind of coke bottle look to them versus lenses for somebody who are nearsighted will make their eyes actually appear smaller so and it's a perfect bridge for uh, what we're going to talk about today it is a perfect bridge so yeah why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about what it is you're working on or the research that you've been doing yeah so i think uh, we're going to talk about refractive error today and all it is is it's basically just blurry vision and it's blurry vision caused by the inability of the eye to focus light accurately onto the cells in the eye that capture light. Basically, refractive errors, they're primarily due to the shape of the eye. So what happens is either your eye grows too big or it's too small, and then this is what's causing the problems with our blurry vision. And that blurry vision is that that's either nearsightedness and farsightedness? Is that both of them? Yeah, nearsightedness and farsightedness will both cause blurry vision. The only differences between them are uh, farsightedness, your eye is too small, nearsightedness, your eye is too big, and then you need different shapes of lenses to correct for those problems. Oh, interesting. So maybe tell us a little bit, so you did some work for your doctoral work on nearsightedness. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what that involved? Yeah, so I studied nearsightedness, and the, the clinical or the scientific term for nearsightedness is actually called myopia. And uh, what this means is you're not able to see far away objects clearly. So there's a clinical definition for it, and that's a refractive error of greater than negative 0.5 diopters. Okay. Uh, what happens when you're like twice myopic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a, a second designation, and this is called high myopia, and that's defined as greater than negative 5 diopters. Oh, that, yeah, that's me. Yep. That's me too. So I have a refractive error of minus 7.5 diopters. Is this part of the reason why maybe you got into this work? Because uh, when you were younger and going through and 
perhaps getting corrective lenses and uh, obviously with such a high rate like that, obviously vision was probably really affected you uh, when you were young. Uh, yeah, I, I've actually been asked that question quite a bit and my answer is maybe not sure, but I did spend a lot of time in the optometry office and actually in the beginning, I wanted to be an optometrist. Oh, really? Yeah. So I worked as an optometric assistant for a few years before going to school and discovering research. And then I just kind of decided that, you know what, research, I really, really love it. And so optometry got pushed aside and now I'm a scientist and I'm, I'm really happy I made that choice. So in regards to myopia, this nearsightedness, what in particular have you been working on and, and why is it important that we understand this a little bit better? So the reason I started to study nearsightedness is because it's actually the leading cause of visual impairment worldwide. And its prevalence is actually increasing it at, at an alarming rate. So the global prevalence of myopia is close to 30%, and about 4% of people have high myopia. But this is actually expected to double in the next 30 years to be almost close to 50% of the population with myopia and then 10% of the population with high myopia. And um, even more interestingly and more worryingly, developed countries, and especially countries in East Asia, such as Singapore and Taiwan, have extremely high prevalence of myopia. So we're talking about 80 to 90% of the population under the age of 19, and about 20% of the population with high myopia. And why is that? Why, why might these places be seeing an increase in myopia? So we think it's, a, it's definitely both genetic and a environmental cultural thing, but because myopia is growing so rapidly and because it's just really changing at a very fast rate, we think it's an environmental issue. And the environmental issue that we think it is, these populations have a very high emphasis on academic work. They're very bookish. They spend a lot of time learning. And we think that it's this high amount of near work and high amount of time spent indoors that could actually be causing this very significant prevalence of myopia compared to other more rural cultures. Um, this is also seen urban centers have higher correlation with myopia and same with academic jobs and even um, other careers that keep you inside. So they did a really interesting study a long time ago on uh, military submariners and people who spent significant times in a submarine under the ocean also developed higher proportions of myopia. So what you're saying, Britt, is that the more people become more nerdy by staying indoors, reading books, the more their eyesight is getting worse and the more that they will need eyeglasses. So it's kind of like this nerd evolution happening across the world. Yeah, yeah. Almost a self-fulfilling prophecy with the uh, the nerdiness and the glasses that come right along with it. So other than wearing very stylish, nerdy glasses, is there anything we can do about myopia? Yeah. So, and, and a lot of people might think, okay, what's the big deal with myopia? Because if you're myopic, you go to the optometrist, they give you your prescription, you get your glasses, and then you can see fine again. So why why is this a problem? And actually, it's, it's a problem for two reasons. The, the first problem is that you start to become myopic at a young age. And the younger you become myopic, the more likely you are to progress to high myopia by the time you're an adult. Can confirm. So I, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I have glasses. I definitely didn't start at a minus seven point five, and uh, for you as well, you have high myopia, and you definitely didn't start at that high myopia either. Minus nine, everyone. Whoa. <laughs> 
I'm only minus five. Oh, but you're in high myopia. Welcome. Yeah, Yeah. we're all high myopia. Look at that. So anyone who starts off early with myopia progresses to high myopia. And the the second reason is that um, myopia and especially high myopia predispose you to other blindness causing problems later in life. So this is things like retinal detachment, cataracts, and glaucoma. And I'd never actually thought about that, but um, I do, like, I see a retinologist. I've seen one, honestly, for as long as I can remember. And I even once had a situation where I went in to see the retinologist and we had an emergency laser your retina down, (laughs) tack it down and strengthen it. So, um, yeah, I had never really considered that maybe the uh, retinal issues would be associated with the nearsightedness that I have. Yeah, and this is just because the eye has grown so abnormally large that it's actually stretching the retina. And just for anybody who doesn't know what the retina is, it's the tissue that lines the back of the eye, and it contains the cells that are responsible for capturing light and then turning those light signals into something that can be understood by the brain. So basically what's happening is your eye is growing, you have this tissue at the back of your eye and it's being stretched and stretched and what happens is that makes it more prone to ripping or tearing. And if that happens, if you didn't have a retina or if your retina detached from your eye and was left there without intervention, it would die. And this can actually cause blindness. So you say, Britt, that the the work that you do is inherited diseases. Now, this myopia is it is it inherited like my mom had uh, she had vision problems and she wore contacts her whole life my dad didn't but he eventually did uh, get uh, had cataract problems uh, later in life so when is there information that people can use that helps them later in life knowing that these are inherited diseases yes yeah, so myopia is also strongly correlated with it being inherited so if you have one parent with myopia or versus two parents with myopia, you're, you're more prone to myopia if you have two myopic parents. Um, for me, interestingly, I my mom is not myopic. My dad is. I have high myopia. My younger brother has high myopia, but my older brother has perfect vision. So it's not a always 100% inherited trait. Uh, again, a lot of it, I think, comes back to environmental problems as well. And unfortunately, If you have myopia, there's not a lot that we know that we can do to prevent or inhibit the progression of myopia. So one of the the, the superstar kind of ideas coming out in the last probably 10 or so years are actually exposure to outdoors light can help to inhibit myopia. But in terms of lenses or drug treatments, there's there's no widely accepted treatment, which that actually was the crux of what I was studying, was trying to develop a pharmaceutical treatment for to inhibit the progression of myopia. So can you tell us a little bit about that pharmaceutical treatment? What is it and how does it work? So it, it's a drug called atropine, and it blocks receptors in the eye called muscarinic receptors. And usually when you're using atropine in an optometric setting, you're using it to dilate the pupils. So it's very common. It's already in eye clinics and they use it to dilate your pupils so they can look into your eye and get a better visual picture of what's going on in the back of your eye. However, people have also found that used once daily or twice daily, low-dose atropine can inhibit the progression of myopia. Um, However, it doesn't work great, and it needs to be used in children, and we don't actually know how it works. 
So we're kind of using this drug off-label. It's not approved for this use. We don't know how it works. We're using it in kids. Oh, that doesn't sound super great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what I was trying to do was to figure out how does atropine work? And if we can figure out how atropine works, can we make a drug that's better, that doesn't have side effects? So because atropine blocks these muscarinic receptors in the eye, and it dilates the pupils, these children have photophobia, which means that they're very sensitive to light. And it also paralyzes accommodation. And accommodation is the ability of the eye to adjust to near work. So these kids can't, they're just like your older parents who have to wear bifocals, they can't focus on things close up. And if you've ever had your pupils dilated with atropine, you've experienced this, it's very uncomfortable. So do the drugs essentially work, like if you're preventing your ability to do near work, uh, does that, is that how it could potentially be helping you? Like the less near work that you're doing, the less strain you're putting on your eyes? Yeah, that was, that was a hypothesis for a long time. And myopia, as I've already kind of discussed, is still definitely strongly correlated with near work. However, a really cool thing about atropine is that it also inhibits myopia in chickens, which is what I studied. And chickens, accommodation is controlled by a different type of receptor. So chickens can still do near work and atropine still works to inhibit myopia in chickens. So not a 100% answer at this time. Can you tell us how the cluck <laughs> you study near work in chickens? How I would study myopia in chickens is we would attach these little plastic diffuser goggles, they're called. And so they're super duper high tech. What we would do is we would take blister packs from pill packages, scuff them up with sandpaper and attach them over the eyes with Velcro. So basically what these chickens are looking through is a, a frosted window. It's really cool and it, it causes the eye to grow uncontrollably. So do you have to put them on the chickens when they're really little? Yes, yeah, we start when the chickens are one week old. Okay, so you, you have them when they're really little, you put their little glasses on and then you, and then what happens? So we either just leave them for a week and that will cause the eye to grow. And actually this, is, uh, this, this works super well. So what we do is uh, I would apply different drug treatments to the goggled eyes to see if we could prevent that eye growth from happening. Have you ever seen Ren and Stimpy? <laughs> no. I, when I was a little kid, I did. Well, Ren would sometimes, when he'd get excited or sad, his eyes would like, they'd enlarge and they'd like start to come out of his head. And it was just freakishly cartoonish. And <laughs> it was the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about these chickens and their eyes getting bigger. Oh, maybe you could have used atropine. Yeah. I can remember, I just remember that that show used to always make me nauseous because there'd always be these like really gross parts of it but i always remember the episode about the great canadian mounted police or whatever the you know the, they sang that our our mountains reek of green our yaks are very large and they smell like rotting beef carcasses <laughs> remember that so okay so you put the little goggles on were there were there any challenges working with chickens to do this kind of work yeah <laughs> so uh, our lab wasn't very high tech so if you have a high-tech lab with lots of money, you can get what's called an auto-refractor. And all you do is you set up the chicken in front of this machine. Um, it's very, very similar to the machines that are in the optometry office. So if you've ever sat down and they have you look at a hot air balloon or a little house. Literally one million times. I did it like last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, what, this is an auto-refractor for people. So you can do the same thing for chickens and it will actually give you the refractive error. I wasn't that lucky. 
so in our lab, we had to use a technique called streak retinoscopy. And what this is, is we have a little handheld lamp that projects just a slit or a streak of light. And then we would grab our chickens and we'd hold them at arm's length behind what are called trial lenses. You project that streak of light across their eye and then you watch for the reflection of that light to come back out for the eye and you watch the movement of that light. So I'd be sitting in a dark room, holding a chicken at arm's length, <laughs> watching the movement of streaks of light. And uh, this is even better when you remember that I was working with birds. And as soon as you turn off the light with birds, they fall asleep. So <laughs> I would be sitting in a dark room trying to keep these sleepy chickens awake while I read the refractive error through trial lenses. So if you're really, really good at this, you can probably nail it down in about three to five minutes. But when you're learning this technique, it can take a long time. This is the real science. You know what I mean? It's the stuff that you don't yeah. think about. It's like you, you have the nice paper that comes out with the findings. But what people don't see is the hours that you spend trying to keep chickens awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So uh, basically, uh, in a very roundabout way, what I found is that um, atropine may not be binding to the receptors that we think it is. Oh, so should we be using atropine? So here's the thing. It it works not great, but it's actually one of the best things that we have right now to inhibit myopia. So there is always this kind of push and pull between it works. Do we really need to know why it works? Um, I would say we do need to know why it works because there still are problems with it. And if we understand how it works, then we can do better and we can develop better treatment. Awesome. And now let's move on to some audience questions. And we had a couple people uh, ask a similar question, Richard from Twitter and Jenica from Facebook, essentially asking about eye exercises and if staring at the horizon could help improve nearsightedness and if there's some eye exercises that could perhaps lessen uh, some of the vision decline that happens as we age. Yeah, so the short answer to that is probably not. And unfortunately, uh, these eye exercises, they were kind of pushed into popular culture quite a while ago by one specific ophthalmologist and kind of got popularized and made its way into old wives' tales a little bit, more of the alternative kind of medicine movement. But um, these exercises, there's no evidence to show that they work beyond, say, a placebo effect. And this is because, as I said earlier, these refractive errors are due to changes in the size of your eye. So if you kind of think about it and you think, will staring at the horizon cause my eye to shrink? And <laughs> the answer to that is no. These eye exercises, what they can do possibly is they can actually change accommodation. So our eyes have two different focusing components. We have our cornea, which is static. So the cornea are, always stays the same. And then we have our lens inside of the eye. And the lens can squish and stretch according to how we're to the focal point of the things that we're trying to see. So some of these exercises might be able to affect the squishing or the stretching of the lens, which could change the way that you're seeing. Um, however, these eye exercises won't prevent or cure nearsightedness or myopia. 
So it may not actually uh, help our eyes, but I can tell you that it does really help with your existential brooding just to like <laughs> get out there and just stare at that horizon for as long as it takes, really. Uh, let's move on to another question from Mary, also from Facebook. Why do some people have better color vision than others? So the color acuity and sensitivity, how can some people differentiate colors better than others? Yeah, so this is due to certain molecules in our eye called opsins. And these opsins are what are responsible for picking up light. And depending on the type of opsin you have in the eye, they have different spectral sensitivities, which means that each opsin is sensitive to a specific wavelength of light. And so what happens is in humans, we have three different types of opsins. We have a blue opsin, a green opsin, and a red opsin. And so normally, we have these opsins in our eyes that are sensitive to the lights and then kind of the mixture of the way the light is hitting the eye and the mixture of the activation of these opsins are what gives our eyes our color sensitivity. This is why some of the population can have color blindness. And this is because people who are colorblind are missing or have a defective type of opsin. So, for example, if you have a defective red opsin, you won't be able to see red light. And if you have a defective green opsin, you won't be able to see green light. And so it's the, the opsins that control our sensitivity to color. All right. So we're going to move on to our segment, What You Nerdin' About. What You Nerdin' About. What You Nerdin' About. Brett, what have you been nerding out about recently? Well, recently it's a little bit harder to nerd about wildlife photography because uh, parks are closed and it's a little bit tougher to get outside with the, the, the physical isolation guidelines in place. But that's something that I've always really loved to do and I love to go out, especially birds. I'm a big bird watching nerd. So I love to take photos of birds and actually have a personal vendetta to uh, take some pictures of this kingfisher that hangs out around Capilano Hatchery. So you've been looking specifically for this. Is it one elusive kingfisher or is it, are there just kingfishers yeah, in the area? Just kingfishers in the area, I think, but they only show up when I don't have my camera with me. Oh, classic. <laughs> so every time I go out there, I love the area and I love to hike out there. But yeah, every time I go out there, I, I bring my camera, no kingfishers. I leave my camera at home, kingfishers <laughs> show up. So now it's just starting to feel a little bit personal. <laughs> Very cool. Love me a kingfisher. Michael, what you been nerding about? Well, coincidentally, uh, normally I don't have a nerd out that relates to the topic, but I actually just got a brand new pair of glasses. And I actually have quite a long history with glasses. And in my downtime, I've been thinking about some projects I want to work on. And I've been thinking a lot of my my childhood. I have a few sort of little projects I've been um, thinking about writing. And one of them is my relationship with glasses, because it really had a big effect on my life. When I first got glasses, uh, 
people looked at me differently. All of a sudden, I went from like a very confident boy to just like being very introverted. I just took a hard cut into introversion when I got the glasses. And I, but I also played sports and they broke a lot and we didn't have that much money. So my dad literally would solder them together with wire. Like I looked hideous going <laughs> to school with these glasses that had soldered on wire to them. Uh, so I've been, you know, I've been nerding out about my new glasses. I like them. And I think I'm going to go back to being a glasses person for the most part. Um, it's been fun to kind of go back into that world. And I feel that it does change my personality. Like I, I have the glasses on and it's like, yeah, I'm a glasses person. And I feel like I've put that person to bed for a while, not having glasses. So uh, happy to see what changes will happen. Just wait till you let that Michael out. <laughs> uh, what about you, Kaylee? What have you been nerding out about? So I've also been nerding about glasses but of a different sort. So I was um, yesterday was my dad's 77th birthday. Happy birthday, Lobester, which is his nickname. <laughs> anyway, um, I was talking to my family on Zoom and I was talking about some of your work, Britt, around uh, chickens and eyesight. And my mom out of nowhere is like, well, you know, back back when I was on the farm as kids, we actually used to put little glasses on the chickens. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Back it up. Tell me a little bit more about this. So apparently they had a real issue on the farm with the chickens pecking each other because once one of them is bleeding and they see red, they just like all gang up on that chicken and peck it to death. So back in the 1950s, 60s, they had these tiny little glasses that you would put on the chickens (laughs) that were rose colored so that everything was pink and it would neutralize the red to keep them from pecking each other to death. And now they had like 300 chickens. So they put 300 of these tiny glasses on these chickens. And I went to look up a little bit about this and I found a video from Paramount News. It's in black and white. I think there's like a picture of the patent there. Uh, It was talking about how these glasses saved five out of every hundred chickens lives and how um, (laughs) when they ate, the the glasses would flip up or they could see underneath them. But otherwise they had a quote unquote rosier outlook on the world. (laughs) Anyway, this was amazing. I lost my mind. My mother contacted my grandmother, who's like 93 years old, still out on the farm. Apparently they still have some. So you better believe I'm about to have some in my apartment. (laughs) I'm so excited. So chicken glasses. I've been nerding out about chicken glasses. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Britt, for joining us on uh, Nerding About. Uh, If people want to find you on social media, where should they find Where could they go to find you? Um, They can find me on Instagram, where I like to post pictures of my wildlife photography, and that's at Beemaster. So it would be B.M4573R. And I'm also at Twitter under the same username, where I like to post all of my scientific updates. And yeah, I think that we also talked about maybe later in the fall, me giving another talk on that work with my work on the frogs. And that should be also accompanied with a lot of really beautiful photos and really cool visuals for that too. So if that happens, I, yeah, I would love to see people come out and see awesome frog photos. Yeah, no, we can't wait to start doing live shows again. But in the meantime, uh, Nerdin' About is uh, what we've got. And uh, we're really excited about some of the new upcoming episodes. Thank you, everyone that's been following us. If you have any suggestions for guests that you'd like to uh, see on this podcast, contact us at NerdNightYVR, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's it for us. See you next time.